Put your hands towards Bruno. Father, thank you for this word. Our ears and hearts are ready. God, would you speak to us? Change us for your glory and your honor. Would you allow Bruno to get out of the way so that you can step in? Let his words be yours, his thoughts be yours, that we, your people, might be blessed in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good morning, church. Feeling good this morning? Amen. Why don't you guys turn me in your Bibles to Judges chapter 6. We'll be in the Old Testament today. Judges chapter 6. As you guys are turning there with me, for those of you who don't know, my name is Bruno Aquino. I'm one of the supporting pastors here on staff here at Firm Foundation Ministries and, and a disciple of our leadership and the eldership team. And I don't know about you, but I'm so blessed. I'm so grateful to be a part of a church family that is focused on the next generation. Amen. Pastor Don, he could have preached the next three weeks, but he's deciding to open up the pulpit more and more to young men. And it's just just an honor. It's an honor. So thank you for your open arms as a church family to allow me and my brothers to bring the word. So for the next three weeks, we're excited to jump into Judges chapter 6, look at the life of Gideon, and see how it applies to FFM, because we're about to find out that it does. So we're going to be reading Judges chapter 6, verse 11 to 16. And and I want you guys to uh, put a highlight, because we're going to be in Judges 6 for the next three weeks. So if you're there with me, let's read verse 11. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat underneath the terebinth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abiezrite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, my Lord, the Lord is with us. Why then has all this happened to us? And where where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers reaccounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us out from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do I not send you? And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. Let's pray. Father, bless the reading of the word. Let it be the hearing of our ear and the receiving of our heart. Holy Spirit, we get out of the way. Come and speak. In Jesus' name, everyone said? Amen. So we're jumping to a brand new sermon series called Champions of Revival. Everyone say Champions of Revival. So before we go into it, I want to first pause and give the definition of revival, because revival is a word that you hear a lot in the church, but it's not really defined much. So the word revival means to make something come back to life. The word revival combines two Latin words, vivo, meaning to live, and re, meaning again. It's like a rebirth or a reawakening, an invigorating experience where the Holy Spirit moves freely among believers, setting their hearts on fire for the Lord. And when I read this definition of revival, and I just look back and see what God has been doing at Firm Foundation Ministries in the last three, four, five, six, seven, eight weeks, I don't know about you, but revival is here. Where it's not something that we are praying for revival, we are seeing revival with our own eyes. I don't know if I'm the only one that has seen it. 
God has been on the move, and he's revealing himself in ways we have never seen, we have never experienced before. I'm 24 years old. I've been here for 22, 23 years of all those years, and this is something I have not seen. This is something we've been praying for, Doug. This is something we've been praying for, Dad, but it's finally in front of us. So to ask the question, is God on the move, is irrelevant. The question we need to be asking today is what is our personal role in this move of God that is currently taking place? And we, for the next three weeks, you need to ask yourself this question. Am I just going to be a bystander of revival from afar or am I going to be a carrier of revival? Am I going to be an individual when I step into my workplace, they're going to see something different? Am I going to be a believer that when I step into my house, I'm going to leave my wife and I'm going to leave my kids like no, no other man could because I'm a carrier of revival? I'm trying to talk, me, Colton, and Devin, we want to talk to some potential champions of revival in this place. Because here's the thing, God isn't looking for a plan. He's looking for a people. God isn't looking for a plan. He's looking for a people. Our Father in heaven, he's not sitting on his throne being like, man, the, the, the economy is down. War is happening all over the world. What am I going to do? No, 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 no. He says, I already have a plan. But he's looking for people to carry that plan. And I don't know about you, but I want to be available saying, God, I'm ready to carry out this plan. I'm ready to carry out your will and purpose for this earth. He's looking for a people. And I, I wonder if God is looking down at Fern Foundation Ministries, a small town, we're a ville, we have one light. We're in the middle of nowhere. The only hope of having fast food shut down two weeks ago. You know what I'm saying? Like, come on, give me something. Give me something, Father. Like, this is, this is where we're at. So it's funny how we have every physical reason to say that God won't use us. Oh, come on, somebody. Every, every logistic reason for us to be used is out of the conversation. But, man, when I open my eyes to the spiritual, when I, when I open my eyes to see 34 people getting baptized last week, when I, come on, somebody. People are showing up to church and getting baptized in the clothes they came in with. If that's not God, I don't know what is. So God is moving. Now the question is, are we going to be personally available? So back to the text. Here is God having a conversation with Gideon, a potential champion. Now when you think of a champion, you think of words like strength. Confidence, focus, resilience, great intellect, and then there's Gideon. Now, if we're honest, if we look at the life of Gideon, we don't really see a champion, especially with that description. Now, Gideon, he lived in an environment that, that was idolatrous. The economy was bad, and the people did what was right in their own eyes. It sounds pretty similar to what we're going through today. He started out as a quiet, peaceful farmer, but was transformed into a warrior. And his transformation simply came through a personal encounter with God. Now, for some context, during this time, the nation of Israel was occasionally led by judges who were raised up by God to call the people back to proper worship 
every time they would do their own thing. If you go through the whole Testament, you just see this merry-go-round of, hello somebody, this merry-go-round of Israel praising God for the blessing, running away doing their own thing, God punishing them, they're being repentant, running back to the Lord, and then it happens all over again. So we're in the middle of one of those merry-go-rounds in Gideon's sight. So for 40 years, there was peace, but then the people again started doing evil in God's sight. So for seven years, God allowed the people of Israel to be attacked. They brought into themselves because of their idolatry and disobedience. When we first meet Gideon, he's doing the work of a farmer. Come on, to all my farmer brothers in the house, he was doing work of a farmer. He is threshing, threshing wheat, which is something pretty, that is pretty normal stuff to thresh wheat, except for one detail. He was threshing wheat in a wine press. Now, I don't know about you, but, but me and my dad, we, we like to thresh wheat on our downtime. But for those of you who may not know what threshing wheat is, let me, let me explain it simply. The Bible says that they would use oxen and they would gather around a post and drag a log or sled with weight or a person riding around it. Then they would crush the grain and then, then they would winnow the wheat then toss batches of crushed seeds in the air and let the chaff, which is the crusty outside, blow away. This is what Gideon was trying to do. However, he was doing this in a wine press. Now, Pastor Don, let me explain this real quick. Normally, a threshing floor was on the top of a hill because when you're threshing wheat, you want to be on the top of the hill because the, the strong winds are on the top of the hill. And the greater, the greater wind you have when threshing wheat, the, the more chaff blows off the wheat. But Gideon wasn't on top of a hill. He was in a wine press. A wine press, on the other hand, was in a valley. It was deep down in a valley where there was no wind. So here's Gideon trying to accomplish a goal in the wrong place. Look at verse 11. The, in the end of the verse 11, Gideon was beating out wheat in a wine press to hide it. Everyone say hide it. From the Midianites. He was hiding. So fear caused him to try and accomplish something in a place that it couldn't be accomplished. Let me say that one more time. Fear caused him to try and accomplish something in a place it couldn't be accomplished. What has fear caused you to do? What has fear trapped you from? Someone needs to give Gideon a call and let him know that this isn't going to work. There's no right way to do the wrong thing. There's no right way to do the wrong thing. You can't thresh wheat in a wine press, and you can't live for God in fear. You can't be a carrier of revival living in fear, L looking behind your back, hoping no one's going to get you every day. So as we keep going, the angel of the Lord comes to Gideon at this moment. So let's pause right there. We recognize this as a theophany, an Old Testament appearance of Jesus Christ in human bodily form, but be before his incarnation in Bethlehem. So just a quick Bible, Bible school note, whenever you're reading the Old Testament and you see the phrase, the angel of the Lord, with the the and the angel, 
capitalized, it is referring to Jesus Christ. So in this moment, Gideon isn't just encountering some, some angel. He's encountering Jesus. So I feel like that makes this even more powerful. He's encountering Jesus. So Gideon is probably looking and feeling like a coward in this moment. He's hiding from the enemy. I would guess he's pretty disappointed about life. He's probably sad to be living a life of hiding and watching his back from the enemy. And then we think of a champion. So this picture of champion doesn't really line up with my man Gideon. But let's continue. What, look at what Jesus tells him in verse 12. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. When this happened, I could imagine Gideon turning his back like, who? Mighty warrior behind the bush. I think this angel's trying to talk to you because it's not me. And then Gideon realizes he's the only one there in the wine press. And he's like, me? <laughs> look, look, look at verse, 13, verse 12. He says, oh, Lord. He says, oh, Lord, you got the wrong one. You got the wrong one, you talking about a warrior. Have you, have you seen me? Man, I wonder, I wonder how many of us have been in that moment where God is calling you to do something. He's, he's saying that, that you were created with a plan and a purpose. I've called you to change this world. And you're probably like, who, me? You got the wrong one, God. You got the wrong one. This is what Gideon is saying. Verse 13, look, he tries to put Jesus on the defensive. In verse 13, please, <laughs> my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all of this happened to us? He begins to lay out all the things that have been going wrong. Every group of people that pass by has become an enemy and they take what they want. The Midianites have become a constant thorn in our side. They've taken all of our farmland. No one is safe here. And let's not just talk about the present. Let's talk about the past. Where is that God that took my, our people out of Egypt? Where is the God that my fathers would praise about? Where is he? Because he's not here. He has abandoned us, and he's nowhere to be found. Although in reality, Israel was the one who abandoned God. Gideon was just, he was convinced that God was the one that abandoned him. Gideon was so convinced that it was God's fault. Have you been there before? That you've been so convinced that God has abandoned you. You're so convinced that God has left your side. God, where have you been? Come on. I guess I'm the only one, Pastor Don, who's been in this place of asking God, where have you been? God, where have you been in my marriage? God, where have you been in this, in this addiction? Where have you been in this difficulty at work? God, where have you been? Where have you been? You've abandoned me. But then we got to ask that difficult question like, like God's about to ask Gideon. Has God abandoned you or have you abandoned God? Let's keep going. Two things contributed to Gideon's current state. Frustration and fear. He felt helpless and hopeless. 
Gideon felt that he had nothing to offer to help improve things. It was the farthest thing from his mind that he, for him to think that he could ever be a leader. God was trying to call him to help bring solutions to the problem. But this idea of being the solution is something he, never would, he would never consider. But I think it's interesting in this detail that even in his limited view of a wine press, Gideon had an opinion. Right? He had an opinion about where the current state of Israel was at. He had an opinion about saying whether or not God was there. He had an opinion, but he wanted nothing to do with being the solution. You see, it's one thing to notice the problems around you. It's another thing to be available to come up with the solutions. Help me, Jesus. Help me, Jesus. It's so easy to be precise about seeing the problems in the church, isn't it? Come on, somebody. It's very easy to find reasons to complain about your pastor, about your leaders, about the church you are currently in. But when it's time to be a part of the solution, you run behind the bush. Who, me? God, you got the wrong one, but I got an opinion, though, Sean. I got something to say, though. But God, but no lie. God is probably proud of Gideon for at least seeing the problem. Great. You seeing what I'm seeing. Now be a part of the solution. Help me out with what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to talk to some potential champions of revival in this place. Let's look at verse 14. So here's Gideon saying all this stuff about what's been happening. Look at Jesus' response. Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Am I not sending you? I think it's interesting. Jesus doesn't even address Gideon's excuses. He doesn't address any of them. The first thing that comes out of his mouth in response was, mighty man, mighty warrior, go in this might of yours. Now, for us, it's hard to see any type of might in Gideon's life. We see the, we see the complete response as a negative. But if we really think about it, Gideon did have some might. Look, he had some humility. He was doing farm work. He was threshing wheat when no one was around. That's a good thing, right? He genuinely cared about the current state of Israel. So he cared about the problems that were going on. He desired for God to move. So there are reasons to see that he's, he had some type of might. He had potential. And God saw the potential. Let me encourage somebody. You have potential. You have potential to be used by God in an incredible way. Want me to prove it? It's simple. You breathing. Did you, do you know we do not deserve one breath? We do, not, we do not deserve to wake up in the morning. But by God's grace, by my Father's grace, he's up on his throne looking down to earth and saying, by my mercy, I will spare you another day. I will spare you some more breath. 
And that just gives me one encouragement and one thing to praise about. If God is sparing me another day, that means he has a purpose in another day. He has a plan for me in this day. This is the day that the Lord has made. I shall rejoice and be glad in it because he wants to use me. He wants to move me. and He wants to change me. So if you have breath in your lungs this morning, you got a reason to praise. You got a reason to be excited. You got a reason to become available. Say, God, I'm available because you've given me breath. Can we just give a praise to our Father? Come on. Can we just give a praise to our Father? By his mercy, he has given you breath in your lungs today. You're not done. Anybody who thinks, oh, thank you, Holy Spirit. Anyone in this room that thinks that they shouldn't live today, you are not done. God did not intend to beautifully and wonderfully create you from the dust just to tell you your life is not worth living. God's not done with you. And if you, are, if you are battling those thoughts this morning, those thoughts are not from God. Those are from the pits of hell. And you need to come to the altar when worship comes back on and get some prayer because God is not done with you. You have potential. Let me give you another proof. You have gifts. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. God has given you some gifts. And what's tough is when we have the lens, when we have the wrong lens of the kingdom, we just think that the only people that should be used in the kingdom are those who preach and play guitar and prophesy and speak in tongues. But that is not the case. If you have a gift of, of administration, this kingdom needs your gifting of administration. If you have a gift of hospitality, this kingdom, this church needs your gift of hospitality. You have a gift. But because you stand behind the bush saying, God, I'm nothing. FFM is missing out on the gift that you have. Yeah. All because of fear. All because of insecurity. But man, oh man, imagine how much more dangerous this church would be if every person in this room would submit their giftings, submit their skills to the Lord and say, God, I'm available to be used by this kingdom for your glory and your honor. You have potential. So after this encouragement, you would think that Gideon would be, okay, God, okay, sounds good. Nope, Gideon, my brother, come on. Look at verse 15. Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Come on, Gideon. Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. He's still not convinced. Instead of responding with a yes to the call, he responded with excuses. Instead of responding with a yes and a hand raised to the sky, he responded with excuses. God, we're the weakest clan in Manasseh. And even in this clan, my family's at the bottom. And even in this family, I'm the youngest. What makes you think I can save Israel? You've got the wrong guy. Here goes Gideon again. You've got the wrong guy. Excuse after excuse. Complaint after complaint. Doubt after doubt. Fear after fear. Gideon makes himself unavailable. Here's why this sermon series is important for Foundation Ministries. 
God has a plan for this church. Not even just this building. God has a plan for this region. God has a plan for Michiana. God has a plan for the Midwest. God has a plan for this nation, for this goal. God, God has a plan for his church to pour out his spirit like never before. I truly and genuinely believe that we're about to experience a pouring out of the Holy Spirit that my generation has never seen before. He's really about to do it. I really believe it. But here's the super sad detail. God wants to use you in this move of God, but because of fear and frustration, you've allowed insignificant excuses keep you from being on the front lines of the battle. You've done nothing but complain, and you've gotten comfortable in the bleachers. But let me tell y'all something. The church wasn't built for the bleachers. It was built for the battlefield. The church was not built for excuses. It was built for execution. The church was not built to complain. It was created to conquer. It was created to be on the front lines. You think Jesus was set us free from the pit of hell in the grave just for us to be on the sideline, just for us to be lukewarm? No, it was not the plan and purpose he had for us. He, he, He wants us to be on the front of the sidelines. And let me tell you why it's important for us to be in the front, because we have the answer to suicide. We have the answer to divorce. We have the answer to the addicted. We have the answer to those who are struggling in their pain. And that answer is Jesus. He is the answer. He is the answer. And he's not looking to use use the people of this world. He's looking to use his bride. He's looking to use his church. He's pointing to you and say, I want to use you. He's pointing to you and say, I want to use you. But will you be available to be used by him today? I'm trying to talk to some potential champions of revival in this place. Because Pastor Don, he can't do it by, by himself. The eldership of this, of this church can't do it by themselves. They need me. They need you. We have the answer. So I want to be on the front lines of the battle. And God is coming to you and saying, hey, I know you have weaknesses, but you have potential, and I want to use you today. I want, to, I, want, I want you to be a warrior. I want you to be a soldier. I want you to be a champion of revival. Because we see our inadequacies and failures, but God sees our potential. He sees it. He sees it, church. We're almost done. We're almost done. Verse 16, excuse after excuse. Complaint after complaint. This might be a good reason for God to be like, you know what? I give up on this guy. I'm going to the next one. But I'm just so grateful that God is so gracious with us to stay right there and say, yep, my child, he's been being a little annoying, but I love him so much. I love him so much that I'm going to stay right here. And I'm going to give him another opportunity. And I really feel like there's some people in this room that you've been running. But let me tell you something. You can run, but you can't hide from God's plan and purpose for your life. So please be receptive to this last call. Look at what the Lord said to him. But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. That's it. He said, I will be with you. This proves me one thing. God's presence is enough. God's presence is enough. And if it's the truth that God's presence is enough, Firm Foundation Ministries, we have all that we need to change this community, to change this world. I don't know if you've seen, but God's presence 
He's here. God's presence is here. When we got people coming to church and doing a cannonball in the baptism with the clothes they came into church with, God's presence is here. When we see marriages being restored, when everyone said they should get divorced, that means God's presence is here. When we got young people running to the altar saying, God, I want to be used. When we have to expand the circles at youth group, Joe and Tanya, Tim and Lynette, when we have to build a building because we got so many kids, God's presence is here. It is here. And the reason why this is so important, God is looking at this church and saying, what else do I got to do? What else do I got to do to show you that I'm with you, to show you that I'm for you, to show you that there's no enemy that can strike you, come against you, because I am with you. He is with us for our foundation ministries. I want to close with this thought right here. As far as we know, Gideon had no personal experience with God up until now. His knowledge of God comes from stories that speak of amazing actions performed by God on behalf of other people. His faith comes from stories that start from more than 300 years ago, with just a few mentions of events in between. His faith, though, is less about personal experience and more about family tradition. Gideon's faith was more about telling the stories of his fathers, not about his personal experience with God. So that shows me that Gideon's faith was secondhand. His faith was secondhand. So it shows me that the stories that Gideon would talk about and remember only got him so far. Quick question. Raise your hand if you've been to Cancun, Mexico. We got a couple. <laughs> Let's go again. <laughs> okay, so to my friends who've been to Cancun, Mexico, I, I've seen for, for years, I would see your pictures. I would see your videos on Facebook, and I'd be like, man, Cancun is so beautiful. Right? My dad and, and my mom, they went on an anniversary trip years ago, and my dad would not stop sending me videos while I, while I was in class. And he's like, bro, you got to come to Cancun. You got to experience this sand. You got to experience this water. I'm like, okay, sounds good, sounds good. And during that time, if anybody would come to me and say, hey, Brennan, would you, uh, would you encourage me to go to Cancun? I'd probably say yes. But because I never experienced it personally, my, my persuasion will only go so far because all I've seen are videos and photos. This past August, me and my wife were able to finally go to Cancun uh, to celebrate our two-year wedding anniversary. And it was, come on, give God praise, come on. She hasn't killed me yet. Thank you, Jesus, man, come on. She hasn't killed me, and she dressed me this morning. Don't I look nice? It was all her. It was all her. So we were able to finally go to Cancun, Mexico. And when I stepped out of that plane, I felt the glory, man. When I felt, right, Sydney David, when I felt that breeze, that 90-degree weather, I was like, thank you, Jesus. My Latin blood was built for this, right? I was finally able to go to the pool that people would send me photos of. And man, I was finally able to swim in that pool, and that hit totally different. 
I was finally able to walk on the sand that my dad wouldn't stop talking about. I was finally able to step into that water. Someone knows where I'm going with this. I was finally personally able to step into the water. And what I experienced firsthand would not compare to what I experienced secondhand. Because what the videos and photos couldn't give to me was feeling that sand under my feet when I walked on that beach. What the photos and FaceTimes couldn't give me was walking into that ocean and experiencing it completely. Now, when you come to me today and say, hey, would you recommend Cancun? I would say 110%. It is amazing. It is beautiful. And you have to go because I experienced it firsthand. Church family, the re- maybe the reason why you're struggling to have faith for the impossible is because you only know Jesus secondhand. You've heard amazing stories about Jesus. You've heard amazing testimonies. But because you never encountered the Spirit of God personally, you're going to stand behind that bush. If your whole Faith, if your whole relationship with Jesus is simply based on other people's experiences and not a personal intimate encounter between you and your father, you will never be used by God. You will never have the faith to believe for the impossible. You will never sell out your soul to the kingdom because it's secondhand. But let me tell you something. There is no room in the kingdom of God for secondhand believers. And we have a father that loves us so much that he never wants to have a secondhand relationship with you. He wants to have a firsthand relationship with you. And it comes from an encounter. It comes from coming to the altar and experiencing the presence of God. Because let me tell you something. I was raised in church. I went, I went to VBS my whole life. I heard the sermons, but Don's sermons only got me so far. Tim and Lynette's leadership and youth group only got me so far. Even reading the Bible only got me so far. But when I stepped into the presence of God when I was 16 years old at a men's retreat, everything changed. When I felt the presence of God over my body and God said, I am with you, my son, and I'm called you for a purpose, everything changed. And before that moment, if a non-believer would come to me and try to mock my faith, I would be scared. I would freak out. I would have doubts. But after that moment, Eli, when I experienced the presence of God, you can mock my Savior all you want. You can challenge my faith all you want. But what you are saying cannot take away the experience I encountered in the presence of God. And just like Gideon, God wants to have an encounter with you this morning. Notice this interesting detail, church. The only thing that changed... In Gideon's situation in this moment in Judges chapter 6 was that he encountered God. That's it, That's it Pastor Don. I want to close with this statement. When it becomes personal, it becomes powerful. Come on, church. I want to invite the worship team up. When it becomes personal, it becomes powerful. And we're trying to be carriers of revival in this place. And maybe the reason why you're still hiding, saying, God, who me? Is because you, you haven't had a personal encounter. And now I'm not even saying salvation. Maybe you've been saved. You did the sinner's prayer. You got baptized. But maybe still it feels secondhand. It still feels like you haven't really experienced the joy of the Lord. 
As a ministry, we believe in the, in the final authority of the Bible. We believe in the Word of God. And the Word of God teaches us that the Holy Spirit came and touched everybody. The Holy Spirit is for everybody. The gifts are for everybody. The presence of God is for everybody, Jew and Gentile. Come on. For so long, the Jews thought this is just for us. But many of them were probably secondhand believers. But Jesus came and said, this is for everybody. For the Jew and also the Greek. The gospel... message. Revival is here. Revival is here, Donna, isn't it? God is on the move. So to ask the question whether or not God is moving is irrelevant. The question we need to ask is what is our personal role in that move of God? So I just want to take a few moments. If there's anybody in this room that want to, want to really firsthand encounter the presence of God, we want you to come to the altar. Maybe you're in this place and you've encountered God, you've encountered his presence, but you've been holding back. We encourage and invite you to come to the altar and just make yourself available and saying, God, I'm ready. God, I'm available. We're just going to take a couple minutes are possible so this moment right here there's no if you want to be used by God if you want to be a carrier of revival if you want to make yourself available no so that you can to be a warrior to be a soldier in the battle in the front lines we encourage you just to come up and there's no come up to the front just in a way of surrender saying God I'm available God I'm ready to fight God I'm ready to pray for my prodigal God I'm ready to be used for your glory and honor to my young people, God, I'm ready to be a leader in my school system. God, I'm ready to be unashamed of the gospel as a young person. To the couples in the room, God, I'm ready for my marriage to be maximized and be used as a tool for the gospel. God, I'm ready to be used. If you're here in this place and you need an encounter of the Holy Spirit, come to the front. Come on, if you've been just walking with God secondhand, you need a firsthand touch, come to the front. If you need an encounter, if you need to be transformed right now in this moment, come to the front. Maybe you're in this place and you've never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to tell you something. Jesus came for everybody. It doesn't matter if you're here. To, maybe you're here today and you're hungover. I am so happy you're here. Maybe you're here and you're addicted to drugs. You're addicted to crack, to cocaine, whatever. I'm so glad you're here. God wants to meet you right now and transform you. God is moving in this place. And he wants to be the Lord and Savior of your life. 
As we're in this moment, leaders, if you feel like to pray over people and anoint people, let's do it right now. But as we do that, I want to give an invitation for anybody who has never been saved, has never received the gospel of Jesus Christ in your life. If you are in this place, you have never given your heart to Jesus Christ. I want to let you know that when you surrender your life to Jesus, it may not be easy, but it's worth it. It's life-changing. It's transforming. When I truly gave my life to Jesus, everything changed. And I encourage you, don't wait till tomorrow. Tomorrow isn't promised. If you want to give your life to Jesus, we want to give that invitation right now. You can either come to the front and get prayed by Pastor Don or my dad or another leader, or you can simply just raise your hand in the air right now. We will pray with you. We will walk with you. Thank you, Jesus. Let hope arise. Death is overcome. Come on, sing it out. Sing it out. You've already won. Come on, he's a God of revival. God of revival. Come on, sing no it out. Prison. Sing it out. There's no prison wall you can't break through. No mountain you can't move. All things are possible. There's no broken body you can't raise no soul that you can't save all things are possible the darkest night you can light it up come on sing it out you can light it up oh god of revive come on sing it out god is in this place god is in this place is overcome yes it has already won God of revival come away come awake in your people come on this is our prayer this morning come awake in your city come on God is wanting to use this oh, city God of revival pour it out pour it out every stronghold will crumble I hear the chains hit the ground oh Come awake in this city, God. Come awake in this city. 